1: Why don't you tell me the story of Frances Walter? What happened to her?
2: Frances Walter had suffered an injury. She had fallen and broken her shoulder.
1: That's Casey Ross, National Technology Correspondent at STAT.
2: She had an acute hospital stay. So she stayed in the hospital for some period of time and had a surgery to repair her shoulder and then was discharged to a nursing home. And once she got into the nursing home, an algorithm was run about her care to suggest how long she ought to be in the nursing home.
1: This algorithm, a hidden aspect of Medicare Advantage insurance plans, looked through Frances's past health records and considered how long other patients typically need care when recovering from this kind of injury. It determined she only needed 16.6 days to recover.
2: On the 17th day, she gets a notice from her insurer, Security Health Plan of Wisconsin, that she no longer meets Medicare coverage criteria to continue to stay in the nursing home. She doesn't know anything about this algorithm, and neither does her family.
1: Frances had a number of other health complications, And despite what the algorithm determined, 17 days just was not enough time.
2: At that point, she can't dress herself. She can't push her walker without assistance. And she can't carry on sort of basic activities of daily living. And you have to remember that this is a person who's 86 years old. You don't just bounce back from an injury like that. You need to have Mm -hmm. some amount of rehabilitation care so that you can get to the point where you can again live independently.
1: More and more, insurance companies are relying on algorithms like this to make life and death decisions for patients. What's meant to be a reference point to estimate the level of care a person might need is increasingly being taken as fact.
2: You'd expect that an insurance company would be carefully reviewing the details of her care uh, and making a decision based on that which is the law, by the way. That's, you know, you're supposed to adhere to Medicare coverage requirements. And there are very detailed rules and you're required to review the patient's medical records. And in in this case, the medical records disagreed with the algorithm and the algorithm was apparently the piece of evidence that was most important or most influential to the insurance company.
1: So today on the show, What happens when an algorithm, not a doctor, decides how much care you need? I'm Emily Peck, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary, and this is What Next TBD? A show about tech, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around.
0: First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
1: Before the use of algorithms, a human at an insurance company would carefully look over all the details of a patient's case and decide what they need based on their injury, their prior medical history, things like that. Algorithms like the one in the Medicare Advantage plan attempt to do the same thing, promising to make that process as efficient as possible.
2: These algorithms are configured to estimate a person's length of stay based on patients like them. So what the algorithm is doing, it's doing a couple of things. One, it's using data from their health records about sort of their level of physical and cognitive functionality. So it's it's looking at those records and it's predicting what is their level of physical function, and it gives them a score um, for their physical function and their cognitive ability. Uh, And then it is also assessing other information, demographic information like their age, information from their medical records, diagnosis, um, other conditions that they have uh, and then it's comparing them to 6 million other patients in a database. And it's finding patients within that database that are like them. And it's looking at how long did those patients stay in a facility? How long was their length of stay? It's calculating an average. And then it's projecting that based on that average, this is the likely amount of time that this person uh, needs to stay uh, in the nursing home or the rehabilitation hospital.
1: I mean, that doesn't sound so controversial on its face. I mean, it sounds like it's making its best guess based on all kinds of factors, the same kinds perhaps a clinician would use. So what is the issue exactly?
2: Yeah, I would not say that it's a controversial or an unusual use of algorithms, data, and analytics in healthcare today. This is done very commonly. Hospitals also do this to estimate the length of stay It's a very legitimate use. The problem arises when the algorithm is used by the individuals making decisions as a hard and fast rule rather than a Mm -hmm. guideline or something that could be suggestive. Um, When the algorithm's output conflicts directly with the details of the person's care and their medical records, the algorithm shouldn't win. It shouldn't be considered to be correct. But in many of these cases, that's exactly what happened.
1: The issue is rooted in how some Medicare plans work. There's a big difference between the forms of Medicare that are available. Traditional Medicare, which is America's version of universal public health care for elderly people, has well-defined rules that determine what type of care people can receive. Doctors and caregivers are deferred to in their judgment. Medicare Advantage works differently.
2: It is privatized Medicare that insurance companies run. And insurance companies have more power in, in Medicare Advantage to make decisions about their care. They can ask for prior authorization. So the doctors have to go to the insurance company to get approval for the kinds of care that the doctors think is necessary for the patient. The insurance companies have more control.
1: Over the past year or two, artificial intelligence has exploded. But the kinds of algorithms found in the Medicare Advantage plan have actually been around in health insurance for far longer.
2: The use of these particular kinds of algorithms within the context of Medicare and commercial insurance really began to get adopted um, between 2012 and 2014. That's the period of time where we began to see the development of more advanced analytics and machine learning models that a lot of the insurers realized could be used uh, to help generate information about their patients that could be used to guide decision-making surrounding their care and coverage. Uh, So in that particular domain, I think we began to see it about a decade ago, uh, really begin to pick up in terms of the use of those products.
1: Is it getting more complex now that AI is becoming more sophisticated and advanced? Is is the use accelerating or changing in some way?
2: Yeah, it's getting more complicated because of a variety of factors. One is the technology. The technology is getting more advanced. You're seeing more complicated machine learning algorithms and a type of algorithm known as a neural network which basically fuses together all kinds of different information uh, to make decisions. In the case of the algorithm that NaviHealth um, produced, it's, it's a pretty common and basic algorithm that uses logistic regression, which is a kind of, um, uh, it's very common in statistics. It's a technique to process information and sort of automate decision-making based on the data that it's uh, considering and crunching. Uh, The other way it's gotten more complicated is that the makers of these algorithms, which used to be standalone third-party companies that worked with insurers, have now been acquired by the insurers. So they sit within those companies and it becomes harder for the patient and the providers to understand from within those organizations exactly how those company are, companies are situated and how these decisions are being made and by what party.
1: When the Affordable Care Act was signed into law in 2010, it changed the way insurers and providers work together when handling treatment for serious injuries. Insurance companies began giving providers a lump sum payment for care upfront, as opposed to having providers send the full bill after the care was administered. This was to incentivize efficiency and keep costs down. One of the architects of the Medicare Advantage program, a guy named Tom Scully, saw a business opportunity in this change. Shortly after the Affordable Care Act was passed, Scully founded Navi Health, the company behind the algorithm used in Francis Walter's Medicare Advantage plan.
2: And so he developed the company based on his understanding of of that and the Uh, the Affordable Care Act, which sort of changed the payment paradigm for these facilities. Um, And then he sells the company and you see there's a flurry of transactions. It's acquired by the conglomerate uh, Cardinal Health. Then it's um, bought by a private equity company. And then it's bought by United Health Group. It's a flurry of pretty fast transactions that bid up the value of the company from about 410 million to 2.5 billion and in that period we don't really know a lot about how the practices of the company changed especially uh as it relates to the use of this algorithm which was its core product and so mm-hmm. when we talked to Tom Scully he only had knowledge about the use of the product up to a certain point after he sold his stake in the company um and so he was He was taken aback by the information that we had gathered regarding the uh, voluminous denials and then the overturning of many of the denials through the appeals process that happens after the denials take place. He was concerned, I would say, that, or at least pointing out that the companies that now own the algorithm needed to be careful about their way they're using it and that, that it's foolish. To use the algorithm uh, in a way that uh, denies care that's needed.
1: When we come back, how do you appeal an algorithm?
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify
2: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com.
1: Play for free right
0: now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: If you want to understand what is happening in the United States right now,
0: you really need to understand what's happening with the courts, the law, and the Supreme Court. The battle between democracy and whatever this cage match is that we're witnessing,
1: it's going to be won and lost at the ballot box, but it's also going to be won and lost in the courtrooms.
0: I'm Dahlia Lithwick. I host Slate's legal podcast, Amicus, and we are doubling our output, bringing you weekly episodes from here on in, because how else
1: can we keep an eye on the many trials of Donald Trump, the conservative legal movement's assaults on our rights, the Supreme Court's latest slate of environmental gutting, gun safety eviscerating cases on the docket. So, follow
0: Amicus wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes dropping every Saturday morning.
1: According to Kaiser Family Foundation, roughly 28 million people were enrolled in Medicare Advantage last year. Um, Is there data that that says how many coverage denials for people um, have been tracked since the algorithm was introduced on the plan. Can you see a, an increase?
2: There is data. It's it's not comprehensive data, but there's data that that shows that the number of uh, denials and the number of denials that were overturned increased uh, dramatically between 2020 and uh, 2022. So you could see that there is a pretty sharp increase uh, in the cases that are are getting denied and then subsequently overturned through the appeals process. Um, But those data, which are available on the CMS site, only refer to Cases in certain circumstances. They're mainly dealing with what's called prior authorization, which is when a provider has to seek advanced approval of a, a treatment or a form of care that it's delivering to a patient.
1: What is the advantage to the insurance companies to using these technologies that isn't simply it saves a lot of money? Like, is that all it is? This is just a really sophisticated algorithm that helps insurers save a lot of money by denying care to a lot, a lot of people. Some might um, be able to successfully appeal the denial, but some might, since they're elderly, simply pass away and they save a lot of money. Am I missing something?
2: No, I don't think you are. Uh, I think that's the, <laughs> oh. that's the basis for the use of the algorithm is that it saves uh, the insurance companies money. They're able to reduce the amount of time that these patients stay in nursing homes, They want to make that stay as short as Mm -hmm. they can so they don't have to pay more money. Insurance companies make money on denying care or shortening it. That appears to be a very strong financial incentive to use these type of algorithms to cut off care.
1: Why would anyone then, knowing this, seeing how these algorithms work and reading the stories of people who are denied care and, and just what they have to go through... Why do people choose Medicare Advantage over regular Medicare?
2: Well, if you've ever seen the Medicare Advantage commercials, the benefits or the purported benefits of Medicare Advantage are emphasized in those commercials.
1: Turns out an all-in-one Humana Medicare Advantage plan includes coverage for hospital stays, doctor visits, and prescription drugs. Really? Most
0: plans include vision, hearing, and dental too, with two free cleanings per year.
2: If you're healthy and well, uh, it can be a wonderful product because it gives you additional benefits such as prescription drug coverage. It gives you lower premiums. Mm-hmm. You might get additional benefits tied to, you know, fitness and healthy living, and you know, funding of gym memberships and things like that. Mm-hmm. That can be really nice add-ons and make these types of plans um, very attractive to seniors. And a lot of people love Medicare Advantage for that reason and um, benefit from it. The rub comes in when you get really sick.
1: We reached out to Navi Health for comment, but they didn't get back to us by recording time. A spokesperson for the company told Casey that, quote, the Navi Health Predict Tool is not used to make coverage determinations, and that, quote, The tool is used as a guide to help us inform providers, families, and other caregivers about what sort of assistance and care the patient may need in both the facility and after returning home. Do people on Medicare Advantage, do they know that an AI, an algorithm, is the one making decisions about about their care?
2: That is not in the commercials, and it's not in the fine print anywhere in these policies these algorithms really sit behind the decision making process when we uh, spoke to nava health and united health group as part of our reporting in this case they said that the algorithm and the output of the algorithm is routinely reviewed with caregivers and with patients but most of the patients and the families that we spoke to had no idea that the algorithm was used Um, And it's really only after they get into the appeals process and maybe they have a lawyer that the lawyer then Mm -hmm. um, gets access to all of their medical records and they find this algorithmic report in the records and begin asking questions about it.
1: And when patients do find out that an algorithm denied their care, their families are often the ones grappling with what to do next.
2: In talking to the family members of these people, they're quite upset about it. They see that the algorithm is used. They see sort of how it's situated. They have these really frustrating conversations with the insurance company because they call them and they say, Why are you recommending or why are you saying that we're not entitled to care when my mother can't walk? I don't understand Mm -hmm. why you're saying that somebody um, who can't walk can leave a nursing home and live independently. And then they get routed through Mm -hmm. the usual sort of call center uh, and the person doesn't know the answer to their questions. Um, and that's the sort of process that was described to us.
1: That's just emotionally devastating. Cause if you're a caregiver for an elderly person, you might not have the resources to care for them in your own home. And you really face with some, just such painful decisions over what to do. Um, you know, you know, you're going to rack up thousands and thousands of dollars in these bills. I, I just, that's so hard. I mean, what, once they've, you know, talked to the, insurance company and they don't get anywhere, what is the next step in in the appeal process? Is, you mentioned getting a lawyer. Like, What typically happens then?
2: Well, typically, if you disagree with the insurance company's decision, then you appeal directly to the insurance company. And then there would be a different set of individuals with the insurance company that would review the case and decide whether or not the denial of coverage for the services that the a member is requesting is warranted and legitimate. In many cases, the insurance company will immediately overturn the initial decision that was made, particularly when it relates to skilled nursing care, and then the person can continue mm-hmm. to get care. But in many instances that we reported on, the insurance company upholds the denial and then the case goes to what's called a quality improvement organization. And this is, a, this is a company that's contracted with Medicare to provide independent review of these cases. So then it may be overturned by that organization or it may be upheld. And in the cases that it's upheld, then you have to appeal to a third level. And that's a, a federal yeah. judge, an administrative law judge who would take up your case. And, and at that point, you have to file a lot of paperwork and it's complicated and it takes many months to get a hearing before this judge. And a lot of people need legal assistance in order to go through that process, which can cost um, some amount of money. And very few people um, get to that point just because of the cost. So they give up and they don't they don't pursue it further.
1: The whole appeals process sounds so convoluted and complicated. It's another layer of costs thrown into, again, like which is basically a public healthcare system paying for lawyers and appeals and judges getting involved and another company getting involved all because an algorithm denied care to someone it seems it boggles it boggles the mind a little bit
2: it adds another layer of red tape to the process and more expense and the other factor in all of that is that it adds a lot of stress to these patients and their families who are going through a very difficult period of time, usually at the end of their of a person's life. Um, and instead of getting the care that they need, they're required to file all kinds of appeals, uh, maybe empty their savings accounts in order to fund you know, tens of thousands of dollars of bills for their loved one.
1: Where does the FDA or the Department of Health and Human Services stand on regulating this kind of technology?
2: Well, if it's a product that's used in clinical care, so if it's an algorithm that's used to sort of make decisions about somebody's care or to uh, predict whether they have a particular condition like uh, cancer or um, there are products that um, help to determine whether you have eye diseases or other things to predict whether you might, other algorithms, tools that might predict whether you have Uh, heart disease or other clinical issues, those products would be regulated by the Food and Drug Administration, and they would Mm. go through a review process. Products that are used by insurance companies get no such review. There is no process by which these algorithms are overseen by an external entity to determine what they're doing, how they were developed, what process surrounds them in the use of their care, whether they're accurate or not.
1: And is there any movement to change that? That seems like a big thing to overlook.
2: There's some consideration of these issues, but again, it doesn't really drive specifically at the algorithm. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, seeing the large numbers of inappropriate denials that have occurred and that have been um, found to be taking place by the Office of Inspector General within the Department of Health and Human Services, They have written regulations, proposed new rules that would limit the ability of insurance companies to use sort of internal proprietary criteria to make coverage determinations relative to these specific patients. But it doesn't really get at the algorithm. It doesn't say, well, how are you using these algorithms? How are they validated? How are you applying them? It just sort of says, well, you can't use internal or proprietary rules you know, to make these make these kinds of determinations.
1: People have been dealing with algorithms, making important decisions about their lives for years, though a lot of us still don't realize that. I'm thinking about algorithms deciding how much rent you should pay, things like that. There's something about this case you're reporting where it's, you know, reducing the health and comfort of an elderly woman to a series of data points that feels just so dehumanizing. What do you make of that? How do you think about that?
2: I think it is really important not to lose the point in this that these are life and death decisions that are being made about people who are very, very ill. And when you're applying an algorithm to a decision like that, you need to know that it's right. You need to know that it's accurate. And there needs to be a human that's in the loop of that decision-making process to take a look at the output of the algorithm and decide, is this relevant to this patient? Can I apply it in a way that respects the the dignity of this patient and ensures that they're getting the care that they need? If these are used incautiously to make decisions or automate decisions, then wrong decisions are going to be made. And the insurance companies might have some acceptable error rate to them internally. But what would that be mm-hmm. to a patient who sits there in pain, needing a lot of care, and is denied it and has to suffer because of that? I would think that for most patients and most fa- families, you would hope the error rate would be zero.
1: Are there any solutions to this? Or are we just going to see this more and more?
2: I think until somebody... Uh, steps up and requires these companies to be transparent about the products that they're using in a public, you know, funded benefit like Medicare, we're going to continue to see uh, these products used behind the scenes with no clear understanding of how they're being used, how they're being applied or whether they're actually accurate. Somebody's got to step up and demand accountability and transparency in the use of these kinds of products. And until that happens, um, they're going to continue to be used um, and probably used to the benefit of the insurance company at, at the expense of the patient.
1: Casey Ross, thanks for your reporting and for coming on the show.
2: Thanks a lot, Emily. I've really enjoyed it. I appreciate it.
1: Casey Ross is the National Technology Correspondent at STAT News. And that's it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Shannon Palace. Alicia Montgomery is Vice President of Audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. If you're a fan of the show, I have a request for you. Become a Slate Plus member. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. We'll be back Sunday with another episode. I'm Emily Peck, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.